So I've been talking about the power of the cross. What I want to do is go back to uh, the book of Galatians and begin to just amplify on some things. Today we're going to talk about what is so offensive about the message of the cross. Talking about the atonement of Jesus, that Jesus paid it all, and it's not based on your performance. It's all on what Jesus did. Let's go back to the book of Galatians and look at this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. He said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? Boy, there is a lot in that verse. You know, one of the things I want to point out is that Paul wasn't trying to be politically correct here. I mean, Paul, this is, this is terrible. You know, if I was to come up and say, you stupid idiots, what's wrong with you? Are you under a demonic deception? That's basically what he's saying. You know what? I'd be criticized. People would say, you can't talk to people that way. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. Let me just read this to you. I, I brought this up a number of other translations. And here it's the same thing just said in different words. This is out of the Phillips New Testament. He says, oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. <laughs> who saw Jesus Christ, the crucified, so plainly. Who has been casting a spell over you? And let me just read some of the following verses. This is through, I think, verse 5 or something. He says, I will ask you one simple question. Did you receive the Spirit of God by trying to keep the law or by believing the message of the gospel? Surely you can't be so idiotic as to think that a man begins his spiritual life in the Spirit and then completes it by reverting to outward observances. Has all your painful experience brought you nowhere? I simply cannot believe it of you. Does God, who gives you His Spirit and works miracles among you, do these things because you have obeyed the law or because you have believed the gospel? Ask yourselves that. Oh, that's great. Here's the Amplified Bible. Oh, you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians. <laughs> who has fascinated or bewitched you or cast a spell over you? Unto whom, right before your very eyes, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was openly and graphically set forth and portrayed as crucified. Man, that's amazing. Here's the Message Bible, Galatians 3.1. You crazy Galatians. <laughs> Did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious that you no longer have a crucified Jesus clear in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. Man, this is awesome. You know, Paul, I, the book of Romans and the book of Galatians are making the exact same points. But Romans is like a scholarly expose of the thing. And it's just real scholarly and it's, you know, it's real nice. It's like a masterpiece. Galatians is like, he's just, he's angry. He started these people in the gospel. He's the one that introduced them to it. And he is just perturbed that they have so quickly removed. And it's like he just takes his gloves off and he's just beating these people to a pulp. I mean, look over here in, in Galatians chapter 1. I know you've seen some of these things, but I think it does good to point this out and make these points. But he just spends about four verses basically kind of saying, you know, Paul, an apostle, introducing his authority and how he has the right to say this. 
And then he says in verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He's using the term grace and gospel interchangeably. If you aren't preaching the grace of God, if you are preaching a performance-based relationship with God, you are not preaching the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Again, in... uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, we read that last night, that the message of the cross is the power of God. And so the message of the cross is the message of the gospel, the grace of God. If you are not preaching the grace of God, you are not preaching the true gospel. And sad to say, most of the body of Christ today is not preaching the true gospel. They will have little bits and pieces of it in there. They might even present that the initial born-again experience is by grace, but then you've got to be maintained by works. How did you say that today? Do you remember, Pastor Bob? But you you had a little one-liner about that that was... I forgot. But it was something about you got started this way. and Anyway, it was really good. I'll go back and listen to the tape. So good I forgot it already. But he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed... Uh, from the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And then in verse 7, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. You know, this is really a strong statement. It would be easier to deal with somebody that just comes up and says, look, Jesus wasn't the Son of God. Jesus didn't die for our sins. He was just a man. He's dead. He never rose from the dead. If somebody said that, that would be easy to counter. But you know what's harder is for people to say, oh yes, Jesus was the Son of God. Oh yes, He died for our sins. Oh yes, it's absolutely essential to believe in that. But you also have... That's a perversion. A perversion is much harder to deal with and expose and counter than an out-and-out line and attack. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, it's really not another gospel. It's just people who are perverting the true gospel. And brothers and sisters, I'm speaking to ministers... And you know what? Hopefully, you're the ones that have gotten the full gospel and are preaching it, but ministers today are not promoting and preaching the full gospel. They are preaching a perversion of the gospel, and it's putting people into guilt and condemnation. Thanks, Pastor Bob said this morning about, man, if you go through that checklist about you're condemned, confused, This is where most Christians live. And you know why? Because they aren't getting a pure gospel. They're getting a perverted gospel that has elements of grace in it, but it is not preaching the grace of God. It's preaching perversion. You know, Daniel mentioned that when he said something about the praise and worship and how we aren't trying to get into the Holy of Holies. How many times have you heard people talk about, man, let's enter into His inner courts. Let's enter into His courts with praise and they're all talking about the Old Testament. In the New Testament we're already there. People are trying to get into some place that we now should be living in and dwelling in and we aren't preaching the New Testament gospel but we've got people trying to somehow or another work up the presence of God and get God to call come and call down the presence of God. We need to apply this in our praise and worship. We need to apply it in our business. We need to apply it in our training of our pastors and everything. There is a perversion that is out there today and it is more prevalent than the true gospel is. And then in verse 8 he says, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. 
The Greek therefore let him be accursed literally means let him be damned to hell is the literal translation. This is pretty strong. And you know what? I'm sure people thought he, he can't mean what he says. We misunderstood this. Uh, maybe it was taken out of context. So he says in the next verse, as we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. In other words, just so that nobody would mistake this. Nobody would think that this was a slip of the lip, that maybe I didn't mean what I said. Boy, this is strong. Strong, strong, strong. I can guarantee you if Paul could somehow or another just be translated into our day and age and attend many of our churches, what do you think he'd say about the message that we preach? We need to make sure we're preaching the gospel. This is brutal. I like the book of Galatians because this is the kind of personality I am. I, I don't care if you beat me up. Just I want, a, I want the bottom line. Yes. Tell me the truth. Yes. Don't sugarcoat it so that I have to sit there and peel back the layers to get to what you really were trying to say. Just tell me so that I can deal with it. I like this approach. And this is what he's saying. He says, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? You're, you're under a spell. You're demon-possessed. Why would anybody leave the grace of God and preach performance? And he says, uh, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. In other words, Paul, this is a, a commentary on his message. Paul preached the cross that Jesus paid it all. And in the process of doing that, he painted a picture of Jesus dying for our sins and made it so graphic that it was just like Jesus was crucified before them. You know, people will often say things like, wouldn't it have been awesome to have been one of the disciples and to literally be present at the crucifixion of Jesus and to have seen Him crucified? How, how do you think that would have impacted you? I actually believe that we can have a greater impact on us through the Holy Spirit revealing this to us than if you were there. Some of you have heard me say this, but when I saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ, I'm not... Uh, criticizing Mel Gibson, you can only do so much, you know, with physical graphic things. But when I saw that, I was so disappointed. I thought I was going to be really impacted. And what I was seeing on that screen, the brutality of Jesus, it wasn't even one thousandth of the suffering that I've seen through studying the Word and having the Holy Spirit paint a picture in my heart. And I was actually disappointed. And I was thinking, God, what's wrong with me? How come this isn't impacting me? And he spoke to me and he says, you've had the Holy Spirit reveal this to you by revelation. And that's better than if you would have been there and physically seen it. The disciples did not see what was going on behind the scenes. They didn't understand that Jesus could have come down from the cross. From their perspective, it looked like Jesus was beat. It looked like he failed. They didn't understand all of these things. They had forgotten the prophecies about this. But we can take all of these things and through the Holy Spirit, we can see that Jesus was literally giving up His life. We can see the crucifixion clearer than if you would have physically been there. And that's what Paul is saying. He presented this so real that it was just exactly as if Jesus was crucified in front of them. And he says, why would you ever get away from trusting what Jesus did for you? 
what he bled and died to do, and then put the emphasis and the burden back upon yourself. You know, the Message Bible, I like the way that it phrased that. It, uh, I forget the exact wording, but it says something about um, you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in front of you. And this is what happened. People aren't really focused on what Jesus did for us, but we are so focused on all of the things we must do for Him in order to qualify and earn His favor and get His blessing. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, ministers are under this same thing. The reason ministers preach this is because this is what most of them are living. Most ministers, when I, I know that when I first started in ministry, I was an introvert and I couldn't look at people and I was embarrassed and uh, it was a pain, a royal pain for me to stand in front of people and I started bartering with God. God, I promise you, if you will anoint me, if you'll just speak through me, I'll fast, I'll pray. I made a commitment one time that I would fast and pray at least two weeks before every time I got up to minister. I wasn't ministering very much back then. If I was still abiding by that, you know what? I'd just be plumb gone by now, amen? I just can't do it. But I'm saying that that's the kind of thing I did. I was trying to earn God's favor and earn God's blessing on me. And so I know that that's how I start. I believe that's how most people do. And we are bartering with God and we think that it's all based on our performance. And that's the reason you have to study and that's the reason you have to pray and that's the reason you have to do things is to make yourself worthy so that God can use you. And that is not true at all. It's all about the cross. It's all about what Jesus did. And if we would glorify Jesus and tell people about how awesome He is and what He's done for them, you would get more compliance. You would get people serving God more out of love than you're ever getting them to serve God out of fear. Amen? Instead of driving people in the right direction by God's not going to answer your prayer, God's not going to love you, He's going to withdraw His joy, you won't have any fellowship. And instead of all of the criticisms, driving people to serving God, which when you do that out of fear, fear has torment. If we were to tell people about how good God is and everything He's done for us, and you know what? You can't make Him love you anymore and you can't make Him love you any less. You can't improve His anointing. You can't do things to make God anoint you more. You can't do anything to lose the anointing. Now you can step out of it. You can harden your heart. You can become overwhelmed with unbelief and stuff. But God doesn't turn off the spigot. You're the one that turns it off because you're no longer serving the Lord. So there's a balance to this. We are supposed to live holy and there are things we can do, but all of those things change our hearts towards God. They do not change God's heart towards us. Jesus did everything that He did through the cross. And man, if you could get people to clearly see that, I really believe that we would serve God more accidentally than we ever have on purpose. It would transform everything. So look over in Galatians chapter 5, and I know I'm skipping around in here, but this whole book of Galatians is powerful. He's just saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. Galatians chapter 5, verse 11. He says, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. Now, I'm going to be using a number of scriptures here that talk about circumcision. This was the big issue in Paul's day. 
If you turn over to, I think it's Genesis chapter 17, where the um, ordinance of circumcision was given, it says that any person, who, any male who is not circumcised has to be put to death. I mean, it was, it was pretty much enforced. You could not have a relationship with God as a male without being circumcised. So that was the issue of the day. But in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts, they had a big conference about this. And Paul and Silas uh, represented the gospel, the grace of God, at this conference. And they so totally ended this controversy that the entire church came out and said, no longer is circumcision a uh, necessity for having a relationship with God. And they ended that. And so, you know what? That's not an issue today. And some people might think, well, we don't deal with this issue today. We deal with the exact same thing. It's just got a different set of principles. No longer is it circumcision because that was dealt with. And the book of Galatians is really powerful on that. There's some, some of my favorite things right here in this book. I'm not going to take time to say that. But that's, it's awesome the way that Paul dealt with this. But today we deal with the same issue. Now it's water baptism. Or it's living holy. Or it's you can't uh, have the anointing of God on you if you've ever had a sin in your life. Or all of these. We just got all of the different things. It's like we're headed to the same destination. We just changed vehicles, but we're on the same road. But now it's a different set of things. And we have to fast an hour a day. I mean, uh, pray an hour a day, fast a day a week. Or we've got all of these different things that unless you do this, God won't bless you and God won't use you. It's the exact same thing. So I want you to remember that as we read these verses. And it's talking about circumcision. But today, that's not the issue. It, but it's the same principle. It's still a law mentality that you've got to do things to earn the favor, the blessing, the anointing, the joy, the peace, the healing, the deliverance, the prosperity or whatever of God. And it is not true. It's all about what Jesus did for you and not what you do for Him. And so He said in verse 12, He says, I would, they were even cut off, which trouble you. I've read a lot of commentaries on this. And you know what? Nobody's bold enough to just really say definitively what this means. But in Exodus chapter 31 verse 14, it talks about that if you do not keep the Sabbath, you will be cut off. You must be put to death. And from that one verse, Exodus 31 14, you can see that to cut off means to kill. To put to death. Second Chronicles 23, uh, 21 talks about that a death, I mean an angel went out and cut off um, 186,000 men in one night. The word cut off in scripture means to kill. So if you take that interpretation and use scripture to interpret scripture, this means, Paul is either saying that I would, you were just killed. These people who are saying this, that I would that they were dead. Or the other thing is, since we're talking about circumcision, let's just, why stop there? Just castrate them, amen. It's one of those two things, but this is the only thing it could mean, and either one is bad. So either get castrated or killed, either one is bad. It's, it, this is really bad, amen. This is non-negotiable. Somebody says, which is it? I don't know, but they're both bad. I'm just, I don't want either one of them. 
And he says that if he was preaching performance, if he was preaching that you had to live a certain way in order for God to use you and you've got to be holy or God won't move in your life, then he wouldn't suffer persecution. You know, we could take Pastor Bob's message about here's the circle of grace. And you could, you could uh, redefine this and talk about how you can tell whether or not you are preaching the true gospel or not. And one of the ways to tell is, are you being persecuted? And people say, oh, well, we live in a nation where they don't persecute you. You go to preaching the gospel and you will be persecuted. I guarantee you, people and religious people will be the first in line. I guarantee you, if you aren't causing a stir, you aren't preaching the true gospel. It gets people mad. Why is it that preaching on the goodness of God and that God sent His Son and that He paid it all and that there is nothing you can add to it? If you add anything to it, you deplete it. You decrease it. You diminish it. Why does that offend people? There's a number of reasons. One of them is people who have been trying to earn the blessing of God based on their performance... You're just saying that all of their hard work hasn't made them any more acceptable to God than the drunk who walks in off the street. You know, I've seen this in churches that I've pastored, that you have somebody who's dear old Satan, they're trying to believe God for a healing of something, and they have stood and stood and stood, and they're doing everything they know how, and they haven't seen the healing manifest, and then a drunk comes in off the street, gets born again, and gets healed of the very thing that dear old saint so-and-so over here has been trying to believe God for for 20 years, and they just swell up like a toad. Like, why did God do this for them and not for me? Because the drunk didn't bring their list of I've been baking cakes and pies and I have gone over to this person's house and I've made every church service and I fast and I pray. The drunk didn't offer any of his good works to God. He just received it as a gift. And the religious person over here was going through a list of all of their goodness as a reason why God moved in their life. That's offensive to people. Again, there is a benefit to living holy. But it, is not, it doesn't earn you favor with God. Did you know that I don't have some of the thoughts? I don't have to deal with some of the thoughts, the feelings, the emotions. I don't have some of the baggage that some of you people do because I've lived a super holy life. I've never had a relationship with anybody but my wife. And you know what? I don't have to dream or deal with dreams, deal with thoughts deal with things, deal with people who I've had relationships with, worry about my past. You know, uh, they're always looking for things like I, they found some smut on uh, Senator, I mean, uh, Governor Perry the other day. I was reading about some of it. And I mean, it was obscure. It was obscure. They're just looking for something. They hire people to go out and drag up stuff. I guarantee you, if I was to run for political office, they wouldn't have to look for stuff for me because it's all on tape, CD. I'd be hung by my own tongue. But if they were to, if they were to hire people to look up smut on me, you can't find any. There isn't any. I just don't have any. I don't have stuff to deal with that some of you do. And you know what? I would recommend that lifestyle. But does that mean that God loves me more, that I've got more anointing? Absolutely not. 
When it comes to God, it is all based on what Jesus has done. My actions don't make me better or worse than anybody else. But man, I still believe there's great benefit to living a holy life. But it ought to be the byproduct of it. It's the fruit of relationship with God, not the root. It's not what produces relationship. It's not why God loves me is because I've lived this way. I live the way I live because I love God and it's my response to Him. Amen? There's a big difference. So anyway, I still believe in living a holy life, but when you go to preaching that your holiness doesn't earn you any extra favor, pull, anointing with God, people who have been trusting in their righteousness get very offended by this because you basically are taking away from them all of the leverage that they've had against other people. All of the things that makes them better than other people. And you know what? It takes humility to take all of your goodness and all of your greatness and all of the stuff that you've been doing and just lay it at the feet of the cross and say, man, it mounts to nothing. Jesus, I need you as much as the drunk, as much as the sodomite, as much as the murderer, the rapist. I need you just as much as anybody else. And did you know what? There's not, just, there's not a lot of people today that will humble themselves and make themselves completely dependent upon what Jesus did. So there's a number of reasons people get offended. Look right here in this fifth chapter. Go back up to verse 1. And again, wish I had time to put the whole book of Galatians in perspective. This is just a powerful book. If you, if you don't love Galatians, if this isn't one of your favorite books, you aren't turned on to grace. But if you read this and if you have the understanding of grace and see what God has done for you, man, this will just light your fire. This will bless you to see what God has done. So this is what he's been talking about throughout the entire book. And he says in chapter 5 verse 1, stand fast therefore, based on all of these previous things he had said, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. When you are preaching on the cross and what Jesus has done, and it's all based on what He's done and not your performance, there is liberty. There is freedom in that. Man, there's tremendous freedom. For, not freedom to go live in sin. You know, I am so glad that God called me to preach on the grace of God because one of the criticisms that people are automatically going to have is, well, you preach this so that you can go live in sin. I'd stack my holiness, my record, up against any person in here. Now, that's not smart. That's not the right way to do it. But I'm, Paul used this same uh, logic. You know, if you want to glory in your flesh, well, let me glory in my flesh for a while over in Philippians chapter 3. I'll talk about that tomorrow. And Paul's flesh was as good as anybody's flesh. My flesh is as good as anybody's flesh in here. But you know what? I don't base my relationship on my flesh and on what I've done. And so I'm glad that God called me to preach this because you can't use this excuse that preaching on grace causes people to live in sin. It's just the opposite. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. And verse 12 says, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. The true grace of God, if you understand grace, it causes you to live a holy life. It is a byproduct of holiness. And so you just can't accuse me of saying that this is, I'm preaching grace so that I can excuse me going out and living in sin and doing something. If I was living that kind of a lifestyle, did you know what? It would compromise this whole message and there's a lot of people that would reject the message because they would think that my motive is incorrect. 
I'm living a holy life, but I'm not doing it in order to obtain the favor of God. I'm doing it because God has already blessed me with that, and I am just thankful for it. Actually, it's actually better to live a holier life than it is an unholy life. Amen? I'd never go get drunk because then you'd have a hangover and throw up the next day, and I don't do that. It's now been 38, 39 years since I've thrown up. I don't throw up. I don't believe in getting sick. I wouldn't do it. I don't care what you felt like when you're getting drunk. Why in the world would you want to have a hangover and throw up the next day? It's Living unholy is stupid. But God loves you, stupid. So you need to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. This is talking about the Old Testament law. This is talking about this performance-based Christianity to where you've got to be circumcised. You've got to go to church. You've got to do this. You've got to keep the Sabbath. You've got to fast. You've got to pray. You've got to keep all of the feast days. You know, this is a broad stroke. I'm not sure that it's a perfect application in every situation, but as a whole, the Messianic movement in the body of Christ today is an effort to go back and be entangled with the yoke of bondage. They are telling you that you somehow or another have a deeper, closer relationship with God if you will observe the Passover and the Feast of uh, the tabernacle, Feast of Tabernacles and all of these things. And if you will understand the prayer, Shaw, and that there are 38 knots on there, and, or 39, and Jesus bore 39 stripes, and somehow or another that makes, that's better than knowing that by His stripes we're healed. And you go into all of this stuff, and it is a return to bondage. And every person I know that has been involved in that is legalistic to the max. And believing that you've got to do these things in order to have God's favor. Why in the world would you leave the liberty? You foolish Galatians. Somebody's bewitched you. What's happened that you would do something like that? Amen. I know some of you weren't blessed by that, but I can guarantee you Paul was not fostering a messianic movement. They made a clear break from the religious tradition. It's my personal opinion. I've never read this. But it is very obvious that the Sabbath is sundown Friday until sundown Saturday. And I mean that's clear in Scripture. You cannot argue that point. That is the Sabbath. And yet they did not meet on the Sabbath. They met on the first day of the week. And the early New Testament apostles established this in clear opposition to the Sabbath. And it's just my opinion that the reason they did it was to make a statement that we are not under this law. We are not going to sit here and observe the Sabbath, which again... Exodus chapter 31 verse 24 says, If you don't observe the Sabbath, you have to be cut off. You have to be killed. And you could go into the 58th chapter of the book of Isaiah and read about that and all of the things uh, that happens if you don't keep the Sabbath and on and on and on it goes. And yet we made a clear break from that. They were not trying to conform and to stay within the Old Testament law and still do all of these feasts. And they had 
this conference in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts about it. And they came to the conclusion that we aren't going to tell them you've got to be circumcised, that you've got to keep the commandments, that you've got to keep the Sabbath. They didn't mention the Sabbath, that you don't have to keep the feast, which if you go back and study the feast, it was if you did not keep the feast of Passover, this was a statute between God and the Jews forever, and if you didn't keep it, you were to be put to death. How, how, how much stronger can it be stated and yet the New Testament church made a clear break between that and when they were putting down the laws of what you had to observe, they refused to put those laws in. They refused to do that because they had this revelation about the cross that Jesus paid it all and all it takes to receive relationship with God is faith in what Jesus did and not your adherence to certain laws, even if they're good things. It was very clear. And this is what he's talking about. Don't go back and be entangled with the yoke of bondage. What most Christians are hearing today is bondage. About that, yes, God has love and healing and deliverance and prosperity available, but you've got to earn it. You've got to become worthy in order to receive it. If you don't come to church, if you don't pay your tithes, God won't bless you. God won't pour out His goodness in your life. That's the yoke of bondage. That's the Old Testament law mentality. We just substituted new new requirements, but the exact same thing, that you've got to live up to a standard. You've got to become holy. Amen or oh me. Look at the next verse. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, the guy that wrote half the New Testament... That if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. And you add to this Philippians chapter 3, I believe it's verse 5, where Paul says, I was circumcised the eighth day. Paul was circumcised. And yet, he says, if you're circumcised, Christ profits you nothing. So it's obvious that this isn't talking about just the physical act. It's talking about where your trust is. You know, I compare this with the 10th chapter of the book of Mark where the rich young ruler uh, professed that he was really committed to God and Jesus knew better. And so he says, go sell everything you have. And he wouldn't do it. And he left sad. And Jesus turned around to his disciples and he said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And it says they were astonished. You know why they were astonished? Because they had riches. I mean, they had ships, they had businesses, they had people working for them. These people had money, and they were astounded. And if the Lord would have just left it right there, how hard is it for those that have money to enter into the kingdom of heaven? We'd all be in trouble, because you know what? Every one of us is rich. And some of you think, well, I'm not rich. i got holes in the bottom of my shoes. I've been to lots of places where they don't even have shoes. Well, you don't understand. I drive no clunker out here. Things about to fall apart. I can show you places that they don't even have cars. You are rich by the standard of most people in this world. And if he would have just said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter in the kingdom of heaven, we'd have been in big trouble. But the next verse, after he saw their reaction, he says, children, I say unto you, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not money that's the problem. It's where is your trust? Are you trusting in the power and in the influence and the things that money can do for you? You can tell real quickly where your trust is. Because if you aren't tithing and giving, you trust in riches. (laughs) 
Thanks, Van and Regina. They're the only ones that complimented that. Some people, oh, well, you don't understand. I would give, but no, you got money. And the Lord said, He didn't give a certain amount. He just said, take a percentage. It doesn't matter if all you got's a dollar. You got a tithe and an offering. And if you say, but I, I need this. Well, then your trust is more in what that dollar can do for you than the promises of God. And you can whitewash this any way you want to, but that's the bottom line. People who do not tithe and give are people that do not trust the promises of God. Their trust is in riches and that will block you from entering into the kingdom of heaven. So it's not the money that's the problem, it's the trust. And likewise, he said here, if you're circumcised, Christ profits you nothing. Paul himself was circumcised. He said so. But his trust wasn't in that. His trust was in a Savior. Amen. So this isn't saying that you don't do good things. This isn't saying that you don't study the Word and that you don't pray and that you don't do the right things. But your trust cannot be in your goodness. It cannot be in your performance. You can't stand before God and say, I know people are going to be healed this time because I've fasted and prayed and I've stood before you and men. Now I've got the anointing of God on me. Your faith is in your actions and in your goodness. And you know, some of you say, well, that's disappointing because I've really been doing good. <laughs> but what's going to happen is you won't always do good. There will be times that you fail. And you know what? When you fail, if you have been putting faith in what you do, and if you think God is using you because of some worth or value that makes you worthy, then the moment you mess up, all of your faith is going to come crumbling down and you'll be just like what Pastor Bob was saying. You're going to be in condemnation and in confusion and all of this. Those are symptoms of you having put faith in yourself instead of faith in God. When your faith is in God, even when you've messed up, it's like, oh God, thank you for the grace of God. Thank you that you use me in spite of who I am and not because of who I am. Thank you that I'm going to tell them about who you are instead of who I am. And you can stand up in the midst of failure in your life. You know, this will also answer some questions for you too because a lot of people will see somebody who's exposed as being a homosexual or having an affair or stealing money. And these are people that miracles happen. People got healed and things happened and they just... Well, I thought that that was God. And now you're telling me that they did this and a lot of people think, was it just totally demonic? Was the, were these miracles not of God? Because again, they associate God using a person with their holiness. And when somebody is exposed as not being holy, then immediately they think, well, that must not have been God. That's not true. God has never had anybody qualified working for Him yet. And the moment you get to thinking that God is using you because you've done everything right this week, well then next week you'll crash and burn because you will mess up. And if you're up and down like a yo-yo and it seems like sometimes you're really anointed and other times you're just dull and it's lifeless and there's nothing to it, it's because you are doing it out of your goodness and when you are doing well, your conscience allows you to believe that God is going to use you and then when you do something wrong, your conscience condemns you and it keeps you from being used. I tell you, God doesn't use any of us because we deserve it. 
So there's nothing wrong with doing the right things, but your faith, your confidence cannot be in that. And in verse 3, he says, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. This is a point that legalists conveniently miss. They'll preach, you've got to be holy. If you aren't holy, God won't use you. All right, let's just take that premise. How holy do you have to be? Oh, well, you've got to be relatively holy. I mean, God knows that all of us mess up, and none of us are perfect, but you've got to be holier than this person over here. No, if you're going to preach holiness, if you're going to preach that you've got to be right before God will use you, let's just go down to the garments that you wear. That's part of the law, that if you've got polyester and cotton mixed in a garment, you're disqualified. If you've got a flat nose, you're disqualified. If you've got a mole on your body, you're disqualified. If you're left-handed, you're disqualified. If you've got poor eyesight, you're disqualified. You can't be a priest with any of those things. You have to have perfect posture. And on and on. I mean, where do you want to draw the line? If you're going to preach that you've got to be holy before God will use you, well, then let's just be really holy. Bible says in James chapter 2 verse 10 if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point you become guilty of all you may not dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do but if you do one thing wrong you become guilty of everything and I guarantee you you'll never be used of God as long as that's what you believe man that's what he's saying he says every man that wants to Approach God based on your own performance. You are a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. What a radical statement. I mentioned this last night, but I don't think that that's talking about that you've lost your salvation, but you have gotten out of grace. You are no longer... And grace is the power of God unto salvation. Grace... You know, uh, Pastor Bob made a statement this morning about... I forgot how he got off on it, but it's the mercy of God that does not give you what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, all of the good that you don't deserve. So mercy is avoiding all of the bad stuff that you do deserve. Grace is getting all of the goodness and the power and the ability of God that you don't deserve. That's a pretty awesome statement. And Christ has become of no effect if you are trusting in your own performance. You know, there are people in here that believe that God wants you well. You believe that that is a part of your salvation, and yet you're sick. As far as the effect goes, you are seeing Christ of no effect in your life. And this says one of the things, I don't know that it says it's the only thing, but certainly one of the major things that makes Christ of no effect is because you are basing it on performance. You have fallen from grace. You aren't operating in the grace of God that's the power of God. You're operating in a performance-based religion. And that's the reason that Christ is no effect. There are many of you that believe that Jesus wants you to prosper and be uh, prosperous and finance things and do things. And yet you aren't experiencing prosperity. You know why? Because Christ is of no effect because you're legalist. You are trying to earn it. You're buying the blessing of God instead of just receiving it by grace. And on and on we could go with other applications. I guess it's time to go. We got people getting up and leaving. Our students have got jobs they got to go to.
So anyway, I'm not through. I'll just quit and we'll start up again. Amen. But we're going to be talking about the power of the cross. Father, we love you and we just thank you for sending Jesus and making us completely, totally, 100% accepted with you through what your son Jesus did. And even though we do good things, we do not put any confidence in the flesh. We do not look to ourselves. And Father, we want to get the full effect of what Jesus did. I ask that you take these things and help us to receive that. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.